Howdy. You're listening to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. All right, is this, uh, is this working? Okay. Hey, y'all. I don't know if you recognize me. I don't have uh, the Britney Spears mic this week. So we're doing something a little bit different uh, today. Uh, I feel so free, though. So, uh, look, welcome to RUF. Again, my name is Austin McCann. I'm, I'm the new campus minister here. Um, I just want to say this. We're, we're so glad you're here, okay, really. Like, whether, like, you walked in tonight for the first time to RUF and you're like, I, I don't even know what this is. Like, whether you hated your week and what it looked like or whether you, like, loved your week, we're, we're glad you're here. We, RUF wants to exist for the, campus, for the campus of Texas A&M to love the campus, to serve it, to serve and love one another, and to love the Lord while we're doing that. So we're glad you're here if you're exploring Christianity tonight. Uh, welcome. Uh, so look, yeah, uh, what Robert just read for us, we've been walking through our series in the Gospel of John and looking how Jesus is the bringer of life. And tonight, what I want to do is I want, I want you to start out with me tonight thinking about your credentials, okay? Like most likely, most people in this room have some sense of feeling like the pressure to do enough to get in. Like, whether that was gathering your credentials when you were applying to Texas A&M, like, whether that was preparing your credentials for Rush, or, like, some of you juniors and seniors tonight, for the first time, you're, like, starting to, pan- like, go into panic mode. Because you're like, okay, what comes next after college? Like, have I done enough? Have I gone to enough classes? Have I gone to enough extracurricular activities? Have I made enough connections at the career fair? And, like, some of you are feeling that pressure from within and from without, maybe from your parents, of, like, asking yourself and from outside of you, like, what's next? And the inner anxiety, like, that feeling, that pressure is this. Have I done enough? Like, are my credentials enough to get me in? Well, that question, like, really runs inside all of us to some degree or another and extends out. And tonight, Jesus interacts with a man named Nicodemus who has all the credentials, seemingly, to be in with God, to be right with Him. And He has the life that many people imagine happening if, if, they really, if they really have it all together. They look at this guy and they're like, okay, this is the guy. And Jesus' response is very surprising and disorienting because it makes us wonder, what does it take to get in with God? Like, how do I do that? And Jesus tells us very clearly here tonight in our passage. So I want us to look at two things tonight. If you're a note-taker, great. Two, just two points tonight, okay? What Nicodemus needs and what God provides. Okay, so what Nicodemus needs and what God provides. Okay, so first, what Nicodemus needs. Let's start out by looking at who Nicodemus is and what he says in this conversation that he has with Jesus. So who he is and what he says. First, Who Nicodemus is, okay? But asking what Nicodemus needs in our first point here is a little ironic. Okay, because he seems to have everything, and that's the point. Because John points out quickly that Nicodemus is a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. Right? If you if you grew up hearing the Bible or like reading the Bible, like most of the time when you hear the word Pharisee, like you expect there to be some sort of like scary music in the background, right? Like like, they are villains, and, like, the imperial, imperial death march might as well, like, be in the background. Like, dun, 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 dun. Like, here come the Pharisees, right? But we have to understand when approaching our passage, right, putting your shoes in, the, in a first century Jewish context. 
that no one would have viewed the Pharisees in this way in the New Testament era. Because Pharisees were the trusted leaders in that day. Like, they were the ones that were teaching the Bible. They were studying the Bible. They were trying to live it out. Like, they would have been the people speaking at conferences. Like, they would have been the people that your pastors are quoting. Like, they were the popular people who spent their time with common people because they took God's law very seriously. Now, some of them turned out to be hypocrites. Jesus would draw that out and show that. But they were the religious faithful ones, the people who said, yes, like, this matters to us. And Nicodemus was one of these fellows. He was a Pharisee. And then it says he is also a ruler of the Jews. This meant that he was part of the Sanhedrin. Have you never heard that word before? That's okay. Like the Sanhedrin in the Bible, okay? Like they were composed of Pharisees and Sadducees. It was sort of like the Congress and the Supreme Court rolled into one. They were the ones underneath the Roman, the Rome's imperial authority who were granted a, a really a fair amount of authority to exercise on behalf of the Jewish people. And so not only is, is Nicodemus a Pharisee, which is really good, but he's also in the Sanhedrin. Like, he's the very select group. Like, he's in the very select group of Jewish leaders in charge of this religious, political, national life. So he's really important. So, like, think about what we know about this man, okay? He was an impressive religious figure. Like, it's sort of like saying at the very introduction, there was a man or a pastor, an author, Tim Keller was his name, and he came to Jesus by night, or R.C. Sproul, or... I don't know, whoever was impactful in your life, right? Billy Graham or, uh, or John Piper. And you would read that and you would think, oh, like, this is going to be good. Like, I know this guy. I like reading authors and hearing about pastors. Like, this guy's about to go to talk to Jesus. This is going to be good. But, not, but notice not only who he was, but notice what Nicodemus says. Look at verse 2. He makes five positive assertions about Jesus, okay? First, he calls him rabbi. A title of respect, sort of like saying your honor. Okay, second, he calls him a teacher. So you're one of so you are one from whom we will learn God's will and God's ways. Third, he says, You are from God. Now, this is a really big deal. Because Jesus will later be crucified in part because the religious establishment could not accept that he was from God. But not Nicodemus here. Right? He says, You're a rabbi, you're a teacher, you're from God. And fourth, the thing he affirms about Jesus is his signs, right? He says, no one can do these signs but you. So he doesn't, he doesn't deny miracles. He doesn't deny the signs. He doesn't explain them away. He says, I can see with my own two eyes what power you possess, and I'm not denying the signs. I actually see the signs. And finally, fifthly, at the end of verse 2, he says, unless God is with him. So Nicodemus comes and he says, you're a rabbi, you're a teacher, you're from God, I see the signs, and there's no doubt in my mind that God is with you. Think about that. Like, Nicodemus is making a lot of true statements. There's actually no evidence that he makes any false statements at all. Right, this is like, Nicodemus, you just got a five out of five on your theological quiz. Like, way to go, good job, right? And so here we have Nicodemus. A decent, educated, religious man with impressive credentials, social standing, and he thinks very highly of Jesus. He says all the right things, and he is all the right things. And he's not going to heaven. At least not at this point in his life. Now look, I don't know how to make that fit in like 20, 2022 College Station, okay? But like, if we were to cast the Nicodemus, 
all right, in College Station. Like, here's my best shot. Okay? Like, probably someone who has his life together. He's probably respected by most Christians. He's probably on the board of, like, a Salvation Army or some campus ministry. He probably has tons of followers on Instagram who repost his quotes. He probably has a Bible podcast and people download his sermons and talks. He's rich. He's wealthy. He's good-looking. Like, when he walks through Aggie Park on Saturdays, he, like, he knows everyone in the tents and they invite him in. Like, he's probably really disciplined in his full-time job. He probably builds, I don't know, like, uh, Habitat for Humanity houses on Saturdays and, like, eats organic food. I don't know. And, like, he's always there for his kids, and he probably wakes up early every morning for CrossFit. Like, like that's Nicodemus, okay? Like, he's the guy that everyone looks at and says, man, like, that's what I'm supposed to be. And I say all that to really try and emphasize, like, Nic- Nicodemus really was a great guy. And I want you to feel that. So that you feel the confusion and the disorientation of what happens with Jesus. Of like, what's surprising? It's that he's completely lost. And verse 2 drops a little hint. Right? It tells you that Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Which in the Gospel of John, what we'll look at throughout our entire series here, is that that's actually a literary device. That John is always talking about light and darkness. And darkness... It's always a metaphor for being lost, being separated from God. So Nicodemus, this great guy, is a picture of being in the dark. Like, really? That's not what I would expect. Exactly. And secondly, look at Jesus' response to Nicodemus. Nicodemus finishes his five statements of affirmation for Jesus. And Jesus replies with verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, what John hinted at with the darkness, Jesus makes very explicit by saying, unless there is complete change about you, Nicodemus, like unless you're born again, although you may physically see me in my signs, you still don't see the kingdom of God. Right? It's interchangeable with eternal life. We'll see that all throughout John. Like you must be born again. And like, listen, what does that mean? Okay? Don't make uh, it more complicated than how Nicodemus hears it, okay? Like, let's be clear. Jesus doesn't mean that you will be... uh, He doesn't mean that you will be physically born again. Like, he doesn't mean for this to be a a political label or a psychological state of feeling better. Like, later in verse 6, Jesus says you must be born of water and spirit, which both represent newness of life. In other words, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, there are two categories here, the flesh and the spirit. There must be a newness of life that comes from outside of you, from God to you, to give you a new heart. That doctrine here we call is regeneration, okay? which is an act of God by His Spirit to give us new spiritual life. That coming into the kingdom of God, becoming a Christian, having real newness of life, Jesus illustrates by saying it's like being born a second time. Like, think about this, okay? Think about kind of weird, but like, think about your own birth. (laughs) Like, how did you become you? Like, how much involvement and effort was involved in your birth into this world? You had zero involvement, zero say, and no contribution in your birth into this world. It was a decision by, or maybe a surprise to your parents, I don't know. Like, you, you had no say or involvement in who your parents are, in what city you were born in, and like, what your birthday is, and how you look. Like, you came into this world wholly, 
wholly upon the contributions and efforts of other people, namely your parents. <laughs> like, you were delightfully passive. Your birth was something that happened to you, not something done by you, right? Like, we are, are like, aware of that. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Nicodemus, like, what you need in order to come into the kingdom of God, in order to see it, in order to become a Christian, is something completely beyond your capabilities. Like, did you, did you see in the passage how many times Nicodemus said the word can? C-A-N. Jesus, can you do these amazing signs? God, God must be with you. Like, how can a man be born again? How can I enter into the womb a second time? Like, don't you hear it? Nicodemus is obsessed with his own ability. How can I do this? And Jesus says, you must be born again. In other words, you can't, Nicodemus. <laughs> being right with God, being in the kingdom of God, is not a matter of your choosing, your credentials, your sincerity, your thinking, your feeling, your self-improvement. It's something done to you and for you and outside of you. You need a complete transformation. Like, I heard this uh, illustration by pastor, he's now in Memphis, his name's Matt Howell. Um, used to be an old RF campus minister at UT Knox. Um, right, imagine, imagine a zombie from the show Walking Dead, okay? Like, I, I know, not, does anybody watch that anymore? I don't know. Um, there's like a million seasons out. Uh, but if you see Walking Dead, right, you've probably seen, um, I don't know, previews and things like that. Like, you know what zombies look like. They're decaying flesh, they want to eat people. Um, and like, imagine one day that a, that a zombie decided, like, I want to be human again. And so he, he goes to the spa, like, he gets a pedicure, go, I don't know, why not, let's get a manicure. Like, he gets some great exfoliating skin for his zombie face. Like, he, he gets a good haircut. I don't know, he goes by Joseph A. Banks and gets a new suit. And, like, did that work? <laughs> like, is the zombie human? Well, I don't know, he, he may look better and smell better, but he's still an undead monster and still really wants to eat human flesh. <laughs> There's something deep within that zombie that needs to be transformed. And like, if you're a skeptic tonight, like trying to figure out Christianity, like most people think Christianity is nothing more than moralism. Like becoming a Christian, being saved, it's just simply a matter of being a better person or more sincere or more disciplined or to just stop doing bad things and start doing more good things. And Jesus says, that's not seeing right thing. And like many of you tonight who are like very good and very disciplined and grew up in the church, you still think this way. You think God loves you because you're a good person, because you're sincere, because you try really hard. Now, like, you may not say that, but, like, it's deep within you that's driving you. Like, the only sense of security is that you can find in your life is, like, bound up in yourself. It's why people better than you always make you question whether you're really a Christian. Like, it's why the only kind of sin you can talk about is the acceptable sins, like pride and gossip and, like, lack of Bible reading. Because deep down, it's my doing that makes me okay. You see, Nicodemus was undoubtedly a good person. He just wasn't a saved person. 
So if what Nicodemus needs is not being a Pharisee or more sincere person or a more disciplined ruler of the Jews, then what is it? Jesus said, says that it must be something done to you, something that I alone can do for you, that you can't do yourself, something outside of you. Which leads us to our next point, what God provides. Because in verse 8, Jesus says that, that being born again by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is like the wind. That's what he compares it to. It blows where it wishes. And don't you hear Jesus? He's saying you can, you can control God as much as you can control the wind. That no one produces wind. No one stops it. Think about the hurricanes that hit the Gulf every year. And no one generates it or stops it. It's a power unto itself. It blows where it wishes. So too the Holy Spirit that makes you born again. And you say, like, okay, so like that's it? Like, yes. You can't control the wind and the Spirit. You can't cause it. You can't increase it. You can't birth it. But you can see the effects of it. You can see the damage that a hurricane leaves in its path. Like, you can see the wind that passes through the trees and the effects of it. So what does it look like then to be born again? Well, the wrong question is Nicodemus's question, right? The wrong question is, well, what do I do? What do I do in order to be born again? That's the wrong question. The right question is, what would it look like if I were born again? See, we can't control it. We have to ask God to open our eyes to be able to see the effects of it. I just want to propose two ways we do that. Right? One way we see the Spirit operating, which feels like bad news, but is actually amazing news. That one of the major signs that someone is born again, that we see the effect of the Spirit at work in our hearts, is convicting you of sin and confessing that I'm a hopeless sinner in need of grace. And really, like when you come into RUF, that's, that's what we hope to reflect. We're a messy people. And like you're going to find out that quicker, like the more time you spend. You come to Fall Conference, you're going to figure that out. <laughs> John 16, 8 says, And when He, the Holy Spirit, comes, He will convict the world concerning sin. That conviction of our sin is a sign of the wind blowing and the Spirit at work. Like That's why some of you, when you feel that your life is falling apart, like what if the first step of Christianity is not doing it, but it's actually admitting that you're hopeless and in need of God's grace? And another sign of seeing the effects of the Spirit at work in your life, a newness of life, is that you have new affections and a new allegiance. Like, out of God's love for you in Christ, you will begin to love what God loves. You'll begin to hate what He hates. You would rejoice in saying, not my will, but yours be done. You'll begin to say more and more, I must decrease and He must increase. Your inclinations, your desires, and your thoughts would be in allegiance to Him. These are just some of the signs of a new heart and a newness of life. A new conviction of sin, new affections, and a new allegiance to your beloved. So if you can't do anything to control God, if you can't by your goodness, by your sorrow, somehow put God in your debt and force Him to save you, this is what that means. That means that your hope must simply be in the character of God Himself. It means that that God will save people, not because He has to, but because He loves to. And did you hear it at the very end of what Robert just read for us? 
This is the heart of God, His character. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Listen. For He did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Did you hear all that Jesus has said? That God the Father so loves to save, so loves to forgive, that He sent His own precious Son Jesus into the world to be crucified, to be crushed for our sin, and to receive His wrath, so that God the Spirit so loves to save, so delights in cleansing and forgiving that He blows the wind of Spirit into your life to make you born again. Um, a guy named David Ireland, he was, he was married, and he wanted uh, very much to have children. And just after he found out uh, that his wife was pregnant, he found out that he had Lou Gehrig's disease, um, which was a terminal disease. And it happened really quickly, and the disease kind of progressed very, very fast. And he began to think, like, I'm going to die before my baby is born. So he started writing letters to his unborn child. And he realized, like, I might never be able to see my kid, so I need to parent him or her before I die. And his wife published them um, after he tragically died, and it's called Letters to an Unborn Child. It's actually a wonderful book, um, but have tissues next to you. Uh, be ready for that. Um, but in this book, he tries to introduce his son to his mother. Okay, that's the purpose of it. And there's a chapter on this, but he says this to his son about his mother, about his wife. He says, my child, I want you to know what your mother is like. She's absolutely incredible. And I think that I can make it clear to you by just telling you what happens when we go out to eat at night. When we go out to eat at a restaurant, this is what she has to do. Because I'm a quadriplegic now and in a wheelchair, she has to bathe me, dress me, empty the urine and fecal bags, open the garage, open the door, get out of board, pull up the arm on my chair, slide me across the board, put me in the car, put the arm down, Fold the chair, open the trunk, put in the chair, close the trunk, close the door, get in the car, back it out, close the garage door, and drive to the restaurant. When we get there, the whole process is reversed. She gets out, she opens the trunk, she gets the chair, she unfolds it, she brings it to the door, she opens the door, she put down the board, she slides me across it, puts down the arm, closes the door, pushes me in, and shuts the trunk. We sit down at a table, and she feeds me. And she wipes the drool from my mouth because I can barely eat. She gets up, she pays the check, and the whole process is reversed. Then when we finally get home, she puts me in my pajamas, she lays me in bed, and her last words to me are, Thank you, honey. Thank you for taking me out to dinner tonight. You see, this is the kind of God we have. We can't do anything to make God like us, to save ourselves. Nothing can make God save people. Nothing can make God love and redeem people. He does it because He loves it and He delights in it. He gets so much joy out of forgiving and out of redeeming and out of making you new. He just delights to show mercy. That's who He is. He does it all. Look to Him. He's willing and able. And he will say thank you. And I love that you are mine. And I don't know where you are tonight. You're probably exhausted, right? 
probably like four weeks into school, I don't know. Probably a million things on your plate. Like, whether you've been a Christian as long as you can remember, or if you're just bored with Jesus, and you're tired and you're empty, because you're so busy keeping up an image entrenched in self-oriented work and image management, are simply full of shame. Like, here's the good news. Jesus loves. I mean, loves to save. He delights to redeem. We have to believe John 16 and 7, 3, 16 and 17. What we do is we look away from yourself and you look to Jesus and you will be saved. Quit hoping in your own character, in your own accomplishment, in your own excitement, in your own success and failure. Quit trying so hard to not meet His grace and look to His character, His heart, His success, His grace, and you will be healed. And you will find that salvation has happened to you. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, you promised us that you love the world so much so that you gave your only Son that whoever believes in you should not perish and have everlasting life. For you promised us that you did not send your Son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through Jesus. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to believe that tonight and entrust ourselves to you and to receive the grace that you've given to us through the blood of your Son, Jesus. That it would not be by our own effort and our own choice and how we feel, but it would be simply by receiving and opening our arms and letting the Spirit be at work through the power of your Word tonight. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If you're interested in joining us for a large group, we would love to see you at All Faiths Chapel on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events we're putting on. We hope to see you around. Thanks and gig'em.